Welcome to Innovation at the Edge, a podcast dedicated to bold ideas that will build a more sustainable and resilient world. We interview global thought leaders and discuss what's new in innovation and share insights for both entrepreneurs and corporations to build more agile and resilient businesses. Tomorrow's low-carbon and all-electric world will be created by both disruptive entrepreneurs and large corporations. And this podcast provides advice to both on how to scale their ideas. The thing that I've seen that's so different now from when we started is that you do have a community. You have the investors, you have the entrepreneurs, you have the academics, you have the government, you have the corporations, and we're not fighting one another. Maybe we're elbowing each other for deals now, but we're all on the same page. And the syndicates that we're building with corporate investors, with late stage private equity firms, you know, we didn't have that luxury in the beginning. It's just so important to foster that sense of community across the silos and, and eliminate them. Hi everyone, I'm Emmanuel Lagaric, Chief Innovation Officer at Schneider Electric. I'm extremely pleased today to have with us Nancy Fund. She's the founder and managing partner at DBL Partners, one of the most respected investors when it comes to clean tech and the energy transition in the Silicon Valley and in the world in general. So, so extremely pleased to hear from, from Nancy. She was one of the early investors in small companies like Tesla, Solar City, and others, and she will tell us about that, that journey and what she thinks about clean tech at that time and clean tech today and how the world is actually now coming her way when it comes to the energy transition and many of the points where she was really an outlayer when she, she was investing in those, uh, in those ventures at that time uh, while well, she was being proven right and many other things she's now investing in and definitely someone to, to follow. Nancy, good to have you. Well, it's wonderful to be here. Thanks for inviting me, Emmanuel. As we said, you're one of the most respected investors when it comes to clean tech worldwide. You founded DBL in 2003. First impact fund. I was actually part of JP Morgan, but that first fund that uh, did Tesla and SolarCity and Powerlight and others. Yeah, we started in 2003. And then we spun out of JP Morgan to create DBL proper in 2008. So when did you invest in, in Tesla and, and in SolarCity? Tesla 2006 and SolarCity 2007. And then we had, we invested in Powerlight, which is now the installing division of SunPower. We sold to SunPower. We invested in them in 2006 as well. So that's, that was extremely early at a time where nobody would really bet on, on the electrification of transportation or renewables or decentralized renewables in homes or buildings. What was the feeling at that time? Did you have a hunch that you were, and were you convinced that you, you were on the, because that was very, very early? Yeah, it was early. It was a lonely place to be, I will say. I'm much happier today when people really believe in this whole movement. But what, what really sold us was back then, we saw that Al Gore's Inconvenient Truth, for example, there was the beginning of an awareness forming. My first job out of college, I went to work in Sierra Club. So this this has been a passion of mine for a long time, but also investing in entrepreneurs is something I've always liked doing. So bringing those together was always in my sights and seeing the increasing popular attention to the effects of climate change, which was small but growing, 
gave us the confidence to place a bet on a company like Tesla, like Solar City, where we're paid to look very far into the future. And sometimes we do it right and sometimes we don't. But there was a germ of an idea there that, that was germinating, basically. And, and so it was something that didn't seem as risky as it turned out to be. <laughs> it's that old thing, you know, if you knew how difficult it was going to be, you're not sure you would have done it. But uh, we're glad we did. <laughs> yeah, of course. So now you, the, the world is coming your way in a massive way. So the, the impact investing is probably around 250 or 300 billion dollars today. And it's just getting started from the decentralization of energy to and the grid uh, to electrification of transportation and other processes. So what trends and what investments are you excited about today? Well, how much time do we have? It's the, the good news is there are so many opportunities. The field has grown and people are now very literate about where carbon exists in our world. And so it takes you to places, of course, wind, solar, energy, demand response, electric vehicles, charging. That's all pretty old hat by now and still lots of great opportunities. But what's fun is it, it takes you to places like agriculture or conservation or the circular economy, the role that space tools play, as we just heard uh, the Mars rover landed on, on Mars. These are new fields that, while not quite as audacious as investing in EV back in 2006 turned out to be, they have this tremendous upside because they are the keys to the kingdom in terms of developing a low carbon, no carbon kingdom for, for future generations. So agriculture, I assume you're talking about regenerative agriculture, more sustainable farming, avoiding having soil, the soil producing its own carbon emissions. Any insight here? What we're going to be able to see, uh, just as when we invested in Tesla, transportation in California was 40% of emissions. So it's a huge bad actor. And agriculture is no different. You know, 30, 40% of carbon, depending on which studies you look at, And yet there's no plan B. I mean, we all have to, we have to have food to eat and the population of the world is growing significantly. So there's no like turning around and saying, no, we, we can just do things same old, same old. And so what we're seeing, we have a company called Farmers Business Network is one, yeah. one of our investors that allows you to aggregate the data at the farm level and develop a carbon intensity score and allow farmers to then use techniques like tillage improvements or cover crops, a whole slew of uh, remedies that lower your carbon intensity score. We're also tackling food waste, which is you know, 40% of produce gets thrown away globally. There's no cold chain in many parts of the world. And so this is bad for farmers, consumers, retailers, And there are ways you can tackle that through innovation. A company we have in our portfolio called Appeal Sciences uses plant waste to protect plants from rotting and increases the shelf life from two to four times. So we have a company called Bellwether Coffee yeah. that is taking away the natural gas roasting model for coffee. And, and that's about a $228 billion industry. 400 cups of coffee consumed every day here in the United wow. States. <laughs> it's massive. Yeah, it's 
a centralized natural gas roaster where you have to drive the coffee beans to there and then you have to drive them back to wherever they're going and they may even go back on a ship to another country. How about a solar city for coffee roasting? Put it in the cafes, put it in the grocery stores, put it in the Starbucks. And it's amazing how you can trim that carbon footprint and also get a better tasting cup of coffee because it's freshly roasted. Like with Tesla, you could have a car that was amazingly fun to drive and powerful and you could be a good steward of the planet. And so no sacrifice. We we love those kinds of opportunities. And and coffee is, for some people, almost as important as their cars. (laughs) Yeah, of course. (laughs) That's a very important uh, notion, that notion of really triple bottom line. So everybody, so it's a benefit for the customer, less friction, better product, better business model, and better for the planet. Any example in circularity? This This is another topic you mentioned. Well, yeah, we actually had the first IPO in the circular economy a couple of years ago, a company called The Real Real, which when we first invested, it was our guilty pleasure because what it is, is a online luxury consignment site so that if you you have a, you know, Hermes bag or something or a watch, a Rolex watch, you can buy and sell that on this because it's authenticated. There are no fakes or very few fakes, I mean, not, not 100% perfect. And we told the CEO at the beginning, Julie Wainwright, you know, that's not why we're investing. We're investing, A, because you're, you know, it's a woman-led business and we want more diversity, but you don't know this yet, but you are a circular economy company. And, and she was like, I don't know what you're talking about. We worked with her to do a study, saw that putting clothing and leather goods and, and jewelry into multiple cycles of ownership multiple economic cycles, had a profound impact on reducing the amount of water and carbon that your clothing usually does. And so we were able to quantify that. And it turned out to be a major story, a major propeller of the business. And if you look at their roadshow deck, we were so proud because it's a huge part of the, the story for the IPO investors was this is circular economy for clothing and, and leather goods and jewelry and such. And to think that when we started, our CEO wouldn't give us the time of day when we told her it was going to be that. So now you're seeing all kinds of innovations. Space tools. This is, this is the third topic you mentioned. So how do you, are you going to improve the planet, this planet, with space tools? Oh, sure. The fun thing about space, because we're investors in SpaceX, we're in the planet. Mapbox was this next-gen geolocational mapping. There are satellites that are the size of a, a bread box and can yet image the Earth, turn those satellites on us, on our planet, and help us understand where is the carbon. Before you can produce carbon, you have to find it, or where are the, the bad actors? And so our motto with these new space tools and mapping tools as well is that in the 21st century, there will be nowhere to hide. If you are mining in the Amazon somewhere where you shouldn't be, it's not going to take five years to find you. It's going to take like five days because you're going to, we have the ability now to image every part of the earth every day. The Sierra Club will get these images or the Amazon Protection Network. Or, you know, these are, we're democratizing access to knowledge about our earth and allowing citizen scientists and activists to really see what's going on. And of course, that will spur all kinds of, of prevention. So you're, you're really staying ahead of the curve because I was saying at the beginning that the world is going your way. 
thinking about electrification and renewables, but you're already in the next stage, in the next, you're already thinking forward. So how do you do that? What's your secret formula? Well, I, I think it has to do with the fact that this was a passion and a mission that we were willing to stake our careers on a long time ago, as it was just so important. So as traditional venture capitalists, you're always looking around the corner and trying to predict what's going to happen. But when you're a climate investor, you do it with a different sense of urgency. And so you're willing to take certain risks as long as you understand the ecosystem and that you know the corporations like yours or the governments play an active role, unlike some of the more traditional tech investments, then that minimizes your risk. So I guess what I would say is that we are because we understand how to get through some of the barriers, we are willing to open our lens a lot more than others. And in a portfolio, not everything's going to be a home run. So we're okay with failures here and there as long as we make up for them. And what will be the role of the Silicon Valley here? Because, I mean, usually entrepreneurs or VCs, we tend to focus on anything that can be developed with Two guys in a garage, right? So software and then and with high scalability. But cleantech, in many cases, where it's harder problems to solve, long-term trends, sometimes it's capital intensive, like Tesla was, for instance, in your case. So you see a lot of uh, lot of people in the Bay Area were a bit like, no, no, we, we, we don't do this. What would be the role of the Silicon Valley? Because arguably, it, it has always been, and it is today, the center of innovation for the world and true force. Is, is the Silicon Valley going to get on that? bandwagon too, or is it going to happen somewhere else? What's, what's, what's going to happen? It's a good question. First of all, I welcome the distribution of venture capital investing across the world and into underserved, historically underserved markets, constituencies, nations, continents. And we as a firm are very intent on broadening the geographic reach of venture capital. We, we feel that some of the divisions in our society between the coasts and the heartland in the United States are because, you know, we never talk to one another and, and we have stereotypes about one another and working together on fascinating new technologies and companies can help bridge that divide. So as an impact investor, we're all for that. As to whether Silicon Valley will remain sort of be relevant? I think the answer is yes. I mean, certainly what you're saying, when we first invested in Tesla, I'll never forget a very well-meaning colleague of mine in the venture industry took me out to lunch at the the Woodside Pub or one of those watering holes, storied Silicon Valley restaurants. And, you know, in a very polite way, but just kind of said, what are you doing? You know, Silicon Valley doesn't invest in cars. Get a grip. You know, you've got this new fund. I mean, it was so different, so new. And, you know, that made me feel bad. I mean, it made me feel lack of confidence that people, because I felt that he was a proxy, that everyone must feel this way. They probably did. But on the other hand, we were already in. And so we just had, you know, we're, we're in. We have to make the most of it. And, of course, we never predicted the phenomenon that Tesla would become. But we thought, well, we can make, you know, we can make headway. We can make a little company and maybe, you know, some Italian sports car company will buy it or something. So we had modest expectations. And so that's what we were up against. Whereas today, you know, all those people drive Teslas for one thing, the people that were were skeptical about it. And people, you know, nothing breeds success than 
a very iconic success story in a field where there hasn't really been that for a long time. So I do think that the traditional approach of Silicon Valley is expanding and you have a lot of great entrepreneurs that cut their teeth in tech that are now doing climate companies. You have tech investors coming out and, and starting clean tech funds. And so, you know, it's not just a Silicon Valley phenomenon by any means, but I wouldn't rule out the role that our region plays because we were early and, and now we have, I mean, we're into multiple generations. We see entrepreneurs that we saw at Tesla and they were like junior engineers back in the, the back of the building. So, and now they're starting companies. So, I think the ecosystem is alive well, but clearly this is much bigger than one region. We need, we need innovation across the world. And we're very interested in the developing world, making sure that we're able to support a move as they did with cell phones and skip the whole generation of landlines. We'd like to see if we can skip some of the centralized coal and, and yeah. fossil building. And so, and that's super important. I mean, you can feel proud about an investment in a solar city or Tesla or PowerLite, but when you fly to Legos, you fly to anywhere in the developing world and you realize, wow, you know, we have a lot more work to do. And just because where we live in the Bay area, everyone's driving a Tesla, nothing could be further from the truth in, in most of the world. So and we want to share the benefits of job creation, of economic development that we see with these investments in the regions of the world that really need that. Listening to you, there's a bit the same idea as, as when you, you hear Elon Musk, right? So when Elon Musk is being asked about what he thinks about, oh, now all the legacy OEMs are going to electrify their fleets. What do you think about that? And he said, well, they're welcome. Well, first, I'm, I'm still a step ahead. And second... That was my, my intention from the get-go, to prove that electrification is real and, and is possible. And listening to you, it's a bit the same. So you, you're still one or two steps ahead of the, of the rest of the crowd, but you're definitely welcoming the fact that this clean tech ecosystem is becoming crowded and there's more and more funds and entrepreneurs and, and more and more momentum, right? Absolutely. I mean, we're just a tiny firm in the Bay Area, and while we been fortunate to help shape some major changes that, that will help our, our planet going forward. We need the attention of mega funds, of entrepreneurs, of academics, of corporations, folks like you. It's such a daunting problem that if we don't all allocate a big chunk of our time to it, we're, we're just not going to move the needle. And, and so, and as impact investors, I mean, that's you ask, you know, how do we make these decisions? It helps us to take the risk to think that, well, maybe, because when we look at a company like a Tesla, we want it to be successful, but what we really like is for the whole industry and governments just to unhinge from fossil fuels. And so that evolution points to people of all walks of life, of all nationalities getting into this game. And the thing that I've seen that's so different now from when we started is that you do have a community. You're, you have the investors, you have the entrepreneurs, you have the academics, you have the government, you have the corporations, and we're not fighting one another. Maybe we're elbowing each other for deals yeah. now. 
but we're all on the same page. And the syndicates that we're building with corporate investors, with late stage private equity firms, you know, we didn't have that luxury in the beginning. It's just so important to foster that sense of community across the silos and, and eliminate them. So talking about governments, so today I would argue that there are basically three three types of approach. So you have the Chinese approach where the government says, hey, we are going to decarbonize the economy. 2060 will be carbon free. And then, then you have the European model where it's more driven by business, but by large businesses in conjunction with and, and hoping and expecting subsidies from the governments or the European Commission. And then in the US, during the last four years, decarbonization was happening because it made business sense, uh, despite the attitude of the federal government. Now, with the new administration, which has clearly said that this is a national priority, this is top of the agenda to rebuild the economy, what's going to happen? What do you think is going to happen now in the United States? Well, you know, we've already seen, we're off to a good start. We had the extension of the tax credits, uh, solar and wind. We have attention to R&D budgets for clean technologies. And so I think we're just getting started. I think that methane controls will, will play significantly because we haven't paid as much attention to that and it's been controversial. I think that the investing in infrastructure, the power of the federal government, all the buildings that the federal government owns, all of the transportation, that's a major push. And as we're talking, we're we're witnessing just the, the very troubling situation in the Texas winter storms. I think we will finally yeah. come to grips with our need for a better transmission and grid system. And then I think, you know, we cannot forget environmental justice, the importance of that, the attention to those people that have been left behind that are more at risk to exposure to the pollution of ports or, or whatever it is. I think this administration will take that and make sure that we're we're creating jobs and installing clean energy in places, not just around Silicon Valley, but where historically the people have suffered because they've been exposed to coal or they've been exposed to fossil exploration in a way that's damaged their health outcomes and their ability to make a living. So I'm very excited about bringing the worlds of social impact and environmental justice together as we we work with this new administration. So talking about diversity and inclusion and inclusive capitalism, which is which is something that's very important to us at, at Schneider Electric, and that's true. So now, because people like you have made the case, have proven it, that you can really create jobs with a greener and cleaner economy. So and that's, it's really beneficial for everyone. And decarbonizing the economy not only is good for the planet, is you create new, new, new businesses, you create wealth, and you create jobs. Then there's another angle of diversity and inclusion, and that's kind of a personal observation. Usually, the ecosystems of venture capitalists and entrepreneurs are very male-dominated, right? So there's a typical topical of, of Silicon Valley being be dominated by white males. But in clean tech, there are a lot of very successful women why are there more women in clean tech? Well, I'm really glad you noticed that. And while we do, we all, we obviously have a ways to go to create parity, but it is a, a huge joy in this work to sit at a table or on a panel where there are men and women. Yeah. And having up in venture capital, 
you know, for, for many years, uh, you're right. It has been dominated by white men. That has been well documented. I will say it's, it's changing. And I think that one of the reasons that women are attracted to this is perhaps because they didn't fit so well into the traditional norm of our industry for reasons that we've talked about. Yeah. And so they had less to lose, really. And I think that bringing together what's important to you in terms of your passion, your mission in life with your job, which is what impact investing is all about. Women are in this field at higher levels in part because they haven't been as vested in the status quo for historical reasons. So I think that's one reason that you see a more encouraging profile, although I can't help but say we need to keep working at it. And of course, we need to work on ethnic diversity as well. Of course. Well, Nancy, it was a real pleasure to have you. And thank you very much for sharing all those insights and for your time. I mean, really great honor to have a so successful, I was there to say, almost iconic figure in, in the world of uh, clean tech investment. So thank you. Thank you very much for your time. Any word of conclusion or last comment you want to make? Well, first, I want to thank you, Emmanuel, and your team, and, and more broadly, the Schneider Electric team, who, who we just constantly work with and run into, and the lens that you bring to this is so important to our work and, and to change more broadly. So we appreciate the corporate vision that you all have and the norms that you live by. And I would just, just what I always say is this field is just getting started. It, it's so uplifting, inspiring to work with the people that are out there developing the new technologies or business models and to pull together your goal in life of, of course, making a living for your, you and your family, but also having it be more than a living, having it be a cause, having it be a, a calling. That's all possible today. And unlike perhaps, you know, when I started out, it was more compartmentalize. And so I just urge people to, to jump in and because together we can solve these problems and, and create those iconic companies and products that our children and grandchildren will enjoy. Wow, that's brilliant. Nancy, thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Innovation at the Edge by Schneider Electric. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify so you'll never miss an episode. If you like this episode, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. For more information on the Innovation at the Edge program at Schneider Electric, go to se.com ventures or follow us on LinkedIn. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be undertaken as financial, economic, legal, business, tax, or investment advice. The information, statements, views, and opinions should not be construed as the provision of advice by Schneider Electric, or as an offer to buy or sell any products or services, or to make or consider an investment or course of action.